Welcome back to the lineup. My name is LJ Mazzilli. It's my partner, Mike Holt. And uh, we got my first guest on the episode, Lee Mazzilli. How's it going? It's dad to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Okay. <laughs> you know, I want to thank everyone for coming out. Um, I also wanted to just address the elephant in the room. I really think there's a couple elephants. I mean, yes, I'm wearing two different socks right now. Lacey's, <laughs> Lacey's been sick. The laundry's been a little out of it, so avoid that. But, um, you know, I do have a lot of, did have a lot of questions for Lee. LJ was thankfully asked. And, um, you know, it's the holiday season. The love is in the air. If, for all of you that don't know, I date his, his daughter, Lacey. I date Lacey and LJ. Both <laughs> Same. Five years. Five years plus. We're doing great. If anyone wants to know, we're doing great. Um, but, you know, it's that time of year. It's the holiday season. Magical. And I wanted to open up this launch ceremony and just have a really great question to ask Lee. Well, you know, everyone's been wondering the same question. Everyone's been asking you the same I'm, question. And that's right? why I'm, uh, yeah, exactly. You've been dating for five years. Exactly. Right? So. The big question is what? Is I just wanted to know what I'm getting for Christmas. What are you, what are you getting for Christmas? <laughs> that's, that's all I wanted to know. That's it. So, Dad, I got a question for you. What, uh, what started your love for the, for the game of baseball? How'd you, how'd you get into baseball? You know, that question is asked a lot, like when you first start. Let's say when you're four or five years old. And, you know, my dad wasn't a, a baseball guy where he would teach me how to play baseball, where he would, you know, say where to hold my hands or how to feel the ball. But, you know, my dad was a guy that was a person that was there every day, no matter where I played. You know, he would drive to, I, I look in the stands and there he was. But I, I learned to play baseball, believe it or not, and most people in New York understand this, in the schoolyards of New York. And PS 209, and I played with my older brother. And my older brother was seven years older than I was, and I was playing on his teams. And I remember Uncle Freddie would say to me, oh, I got my little brother, he's playing, he's on our team. And everyone else was seven years older than me. But I played with them, and I learned to play baseball with older players. And, um, those were probably the best days of my life, playing softball in the schoolyards and playing stickball, punchball, slapball, all the things that we did in Brooklyn. But we learned the athletic part of the game, and I learned so much. I really did. So if you ask me where I learned to play, I, I would say in the schoolyards of New York is where I started to play. Did you, uh, did you hold your own with the Yeah, very much guys? so. That's because Uncle Freddie always picked me because okay. he knew that, you know, when we played, all his friends would say, he's a little runt, he can't play, you know? <laughs> and Uncle Freddie knew all the time. And um, I, I did, I learned a lot, of, a lot of baseball. Softball, we played softball there. That's awesome. You know, it, you know that, and it just, it, it just went on from there, obviously. But um, I think back in the day when, you know, during the 70s when we played in New York, that was the biggest sport. So it was, you didn't have soccer, you know, football wasn't as big as it is now and lacrosse. You didn't have all the other sports, you had baseball. So for us in growing up uh, and playing in the parade grounds and Marine Park, um, you played, you know, 60, 70 games, 80 games during the summer. I used to play on three different teams. From one, I play, one night I play on one team, the next day I play on another team just to play every day. And baseball in New York back then was the sport to play. 
and everyone, every one of your friends all played. So, I mean, that, my love started from there and just grew and grew and grew. Was there like a specific point in time where you realized you were talented? You know, good question. You always, no, I didn't know when. And, I, and I'm gonna tell you when I got drafted, which kind of surprised me. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, maybe I am good at this sport because I was, I knew I was going to get drafted. I knew I was a good player at a young age. I didn't know how good um, until the draft. And my dream, or and both your dreams were playing, you want to play pro ball, was to get drafted. And you didn't care where, uh, what team, or you wanted to be with a home team. And I was in a senior in high school, and the draft was on, and there was obviously no cell phones, or you couldn't get in touch with anyone. And I remember being in, in, in Lincoln High School, and I wasn't exactly in class that particular day, but I was roaming the hallways. <laughs> and uh, as I was roaming the hallways, I, I, I ran into my, my baseball coach. And I went, oh, Christ, he just caught me out cutting class yeah. or something. And he looked at me like, and I looked at him, and he goes, did you hear anything? And uh, I said, no. What's up? He goes, and he went to me, he went like this, Mets. And he point, put his finger up like that. Mets. I'm like, Mets number one. I had no idea that I was, I was going to be their number one pick. And I, and I remember being in school and I ran all the way home. Or, and I, well, I think I had Auntie Joe's car, I think, that day. I think I, she lent it to me. And uh, I went home to see Pops and gave him a big hug and realized then that I was a number one pick for the New York Mets. And, and then then you realize that, you know, hey, maybe he's a pretty good player. So I, I remember you telling me something about making a decision between baseball and speed skating at the time when you yeah. first got drafted. Did you have to like sit down and talk about that? Uh, no, because I knew in my heart what I wanted to do. It, it, was, it was not an easy decision. I look back now, I kind of regret uh, missing an opportunity to skate, but back in 1970, in the 70s, in 72, the Olympics were in Sapporo, Japan. And that's where I could have gone or trained for. Um, but you couldn't be a professional and amateur at the same time. You couldn't have both status. Now you could be professional and play in the Olympics. Back then, you couldn't. You had to be a full amateur. And I was making a decision because I was getting drafted in 1973. And that summer before, obviously, you both know how important it is to get your, your, you know, your get your, your, your grade up as a player, so to speak, um, the year before, so you have to really play that year before. So I had to forego that opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy in Colorado to train for the uh, U.S. Uh, speed skating team. And at that time, no, I didn't think anything of it, so I picked the right sport. But now you look back now and you kind of say, you know, I wish I had a chance to represent my country in, in that speed skating, but, um, I think the right decision, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I think it's we all think you made the right decision. It's good. And then, so you signed out of high school, right? You're in your first professional year um, mm -hmm. as a baseball player. Um, I remember you telling me that you got homesick. Uh, you know, you were, in, you were in Florida at the time? Yeah, well, I, was playing, I was playing in the instructional league. And uh, we, me and your uncle, my brother, Uncle Freddie, uh, came down to visit me, and I was so homesick. I mean, I was like, every night I was like crying. I just like, and, and back then we were in St. Petersburg, Florida, 
And in the 70s, you know, at 8, 7, 8 o'clock, that's it. It's closed down. And I was just not used to that. And I didn't know anyone. I was there all, all alone. And I'll never forget the day. It was the only time that my brother really just yelled at me. He, 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 he went down. He said to me, bro, I'm going down in a pool at, at the hotel. I said, okay. So I'm going to lay in the sun. So he said he's going to lay in the sun. And as he went down to the pool, I went to the hotel, went, packed all my bags up. I loaded up the car. Wow. And I came down, and he came back, and he saw me loading the car up. He says, what are you doing? I said, I ain't going to go home. I don't like it here. He goes, what? He goes, you unload that car right now. And you get everything back in that room while I'm going to break your legs. He goes, you made an obligation. To, you have an obligation to the organization. You have a commitment to this team, and you're going to go back and you're going to play. And quit crying and being a baby. I'll get all that stuff back up in your room. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Because I wanted to go home. I thought it was it. I, I, I wasn't going to be able to handle this. And I never forget him saying that you have an obligation. You, made, you have a commitment. And you have to honor that. And trust me, I took everything back to the room. But <laughs> I, I, I remember him telling me that. I was ready to go. I was ready to go. Would you, would you attribute all your uh, success and things that you've accomplished to that moment? I, you know, a big part of it, no doubt, because if he was not there, I was gone. There was no doubt in my mind. I would have been on I-95. You don't think Nooney and Poppy would, nope. have, would have told nope. you to nope. stay? Nope. Oh, they probably, when I got home, they'd say that you'd have to go back, but at that moment, um, I, I would have been gone, for sure. And was, uh, was Bobby Valentine your roommate yet at that no, point? No, no. Bobby Valentine and I became roommates uh, 1978. So Bobby was involved in the Tom Seaver trade. Uh, no, Dave Kingman, I'm sorry. He was traded for Dave Kingman. And that's when Seaver was traded. That was the big midnight massacre in New York. And um, Bobby came over and being, you know, a guy from the East, um, we kind of hit it off being Italian and stuff. And we became really close. And then at, back, at that time, you had to have roommates. Nowadays, there's no roommates. You have your own room. Guys have suites and all that. But you, have, you had to have a roommate. And Bobby and I became roommates. And we've been like you know, brothers ever since. So we learned a lot of baseball together. So, so tell us about the moment when you got first called up to the big league. Best day of my life as a, as a professional athlete. I think, Mike, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna answer to that. I was playing double A baseball in Jackson, Mississippi, another culture shock, you know, being oh, yeah. down, down south, you know, I lived in Pearl, Mississippi, and my manager was Johnny Antonelli, Antonelli, and he called me in his room, in his office, he had a southern accent, and he said, you know, you, you, you're going to go to the big league, son, and, I, and I, I looked at him, and I was just, I was like staring, I don't know how you were like that. Because that was your dream. Yeah. You want to play pro ball. Even though you're playing pro ball, you don't think you're going to get to the big leagues. Even It doesn't matter how good you are. You still don't think you're going to get to the big leagues until someone calls you and says, you're going up. And he told me that. And I, I met the team in uh, Chicago, Wrigley Field. And if anyone knows about Wrigley Field, it's like St. Patrick's Cathedral in Chicago. Everyone knows Wrigley Field. I get in the cab, and I said to the cab driver, I'm going to Wrigley Field, and I pulled out a piece of paper, and I went, 
It's on Clock and Addison. Like this guy's <laughs> looking at me like, this guy's an idiot. You don't know where it's yeah. at. And uh, I, I walked into Wrigley Field and I carried all my bags. I had like three suitcases. I carried up the old Wrigley Field where you have to go up stairs one way and then you got to go like this and up here. And I finally get into the clubhouse and it, 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 just, it just took you back. And there was Tom Seaver and there was Jerry Kuzman and Buddy Harrelson for the Mets. Guys that, you know, two years before, I'm in high school watching these guys. And then the traveling secretary comes up to me, he goes, do you, do you know Joe Torrey? I said, no. I said, have you met Joe? I said, no. He said, well, come with me. And I go to the, um, to the training room. He's sitting in a, in a, laying down on a table. It's the first time I met Joe. 49 years ago, I guess, whatever. And he's sitting on a table like this, right? laying on the table, he's got his glasses on, like really down here. Mm -hmm. He's got a racing form in his hand and a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> I saw it, he says, this is Joe Torrey, and I said, damn, I'm gonna like this plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I said, there he was. And, and then, you know, went to that game and they said, you know, you're not gonna play. You're just gonna watch. We're gonna get the feel of, of the major leagues. And Joe said, uh, you stay with me. And, um, I stood with him for, I don't know, 47 years. I guess we've been friends since that day. So, so it all started then? It all started then. And how old were you when you got called up? I was 20, 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. Early on. Yeah, I was very fortunate to play with Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, John Matlock, Jerry Grody, you know what I'm saying, Tory, mm -hmm. Ed Cranepole, uh, because at 76, they were a pretty good team. They finished third. But they were good. They were a veteran team. And, you know, you're talking about some of the greats that played. You know, Tom Seaver, to me, was the best of all time. And I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of baseball from them. I've always told you this. I learned a lot about hitting from Tom Seaver. Learned a lot of hitting from Tom Seaver. Because Tom Seaver would always say and always tell me how he would set up hitters. He'd say, you know, I throw him a curveball in the second inning but I would hold my good curveball for the seventh inning, and I went, mm -hmm. <laughs> you got a good one, a better one than mm -hmm. that, you know? But you, you learned it, and Jerry Kuzman would always say, yeah, the young guys I would throw off-speed pitches to, because I said, why is that? Because young guys are anxious, they want to hit that fastball. So I learned a lot of hitting of stuff from, from, from the pitchers, you know, the great pitchers. There. That's pretty cool, because not a lot of people think that way in the game, you know? They, all go, they always go to, like, hitting coaches, or, you know, offensive people that are, successful and they try to right. like pick their brains so yeah that's interesting. I think, yeah I think a lot of yeah I, it's a different avenue but I for me you know even when I teach hitting and you you both were really good hitters you know the key I always preached was situational hitting you all have a gift to to hit a baseball um, you have a gift that a couple of hundred million people cannot do and you're able to do that and um, so it's not so much that as knowing what to do with that gift. And that's where that situation of counts and what, who's on base and things of that nature uh, that, that takes you to that next level. You have great hitters. You know, look at um, Barry Bonds, you know. Um, you know, he's such a great hitter because he knew the strike zone so well. 
You know, ball was that much off the plate, he didn't swing. Mm. Then you look at other guys and they're swinging at everything. So, um, yeah, that's part of it. Well, I'm gonna definitely ask you a question about when Barry Bonds got called up when you were in Pittsburgh. That'll be, that'll be following this question right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, not too many people know about Barry Bonds being called up in Pittsburgh. I would definitely want to get to that after this question, but I have a question I think everybody here wants to know, is when did you officially become the Italian Stallion? Until <laughs> 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 this day, I do not know. <laughs> you know it was just, it was just pegged you. on you? Yes, and it's funny you said that because when I played for the Yankees in 82, and God rest his soul, Phil Rizzuto was just one of the nicest human beings that God ever created, and Yogi Berra. And there's another person I got a chance to be around was Yogi Berra. He was an, an encyclopedia of baseball, those two guys. And we took a picture. Uh, Rick Cerrone, the catcher for the Yankees. It was Yogi, myself, Dave Rigetti, and Rizzuto was on the outside of it. And the, and the four of us, the five of us, it was a picture in the Yankee uniform, and the caption was, who is the real Italian style? Oh, wow. And it was so cool, man. So I don't know where that came from, but it was just being around him. And, um, you know, we could talk about hours about Yogi and Rizzuto and guys that uh, meant a lot to me in my baseball career. I mean, it's just, you know, sitting with Yogi, and I said he was like an encyclopedia of baseball, it was just, Mind-boggling. It was just mind-boggling. And he would sit. We'd sit on a bench in spring training, and he'd be like this, you know, and he'd be just looking straight ahead. And then a play would happen, whatever, and he'd be sitting next to me, and he'd go like this, he, like he nudge. He goes, "Hey, he didn't back him up over there." And I know he didn't look. I know, I know he didn't do that. He go, "He didn't back him up," and I, and I would go like. Son of a bitch, he's right. He didn't back him up. He saw everything. Yogi saw everything on the field. He, he, it's just, he was amazing. He's just, he, was a, he was just a national treasure. And what, what was uh, everyone's reaction when you did get the label of Italian Stallion? Because the question was, know. who's the real Italian Stallion? I, I, none of us thought of, it, any of that. We all thought it was kind of cool that we were all together. Yeah. yeah. How would you find out? Yeah. Have a poll. And I mean, it was, all over, it was all over the news, <laughs> there, I guess. Back the then, we could take our shirt off. Now, True, nah, yeah. we're not taking it <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, uh, all right. That. I know that. So I'll get back to that question about Barry Bonds. So I remember you telling me that you were in Pittsburgh playing, right? You just signed that deal with them. You were, you were the guy coming out of spring training. And then... No, at, no, that was... Was it the fall? No, no, it was like three years later, four years later. Okay. Yeah. So was, while you were there, though... Right, mm -hmm. you were you were having a really good year. That's what you told me, and then Jim Lee, Jim Different Leland, year. well, he called you in the office and said, "We're we're going to call somebody up." Right. So no, this was my last year in Pittsburgh. Not not, not my first year. I was there playing. My my last year, I was a veteran. I already had like ten years in, and the Pirates were a young team. They were a young building team. Now I thought I was getting traded back to the Mets in the spring of '86. And uh, the Mets wanted me back. They couldn't work a deal out at that time. So I stayed with the Pirates through 86 till July. And I get a phone call. Now, Jim Leland was my manager, who I loved to death. We got along so well. And every day he'd walk into the clubhouse and he'd say, Maz, you're still here? I said, <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. And um, 
So I get a call one morning, morning on July, I think it was July 24th on your mom's birthday. And um, I get a call about eight in the morning. And he says, hey, what are you doing? I went, huh? It's eight in the morning. I said, what do you mean? I'm sleeping. What do you think I'm doing? We just had a night game. And he says, meet me in the general manager's office at 11 o'clock. I said, what for? He said, oh, just, just meet us in there. We gotta. I said, no. He says, he says, what do you mean, no? <laughs> no, I'm not going. We had a good relationship. He says, I said to him, you've got to tell me why I'm going to the, to the office in the morning. I can't tell you. Just, just meet us there at 11 o'clock. I said, no, I'm not coming. And he said, what do you mean? You've got to come. That's how he was. It wasn't mm-hmm. like what he demanded. I said, no, Jimmy, I'm not coming. I mean, I've been around here long enough. Tell me why I need to go. Then he finally said, well, because we had that relationship. He didn't want to tell me he felt bad. And he said, all right, listen, we have a deal on the table for you. And if we can't get the done deal by 11 o'clock, then, then, then you know, we're, we're going to let you go. I said, fair enough, I'll be there at 11 o'clock, because he was honest with me. You know? So I went into, oh, God, I'm trying to remember the general manager's name. Oh, uh, Sid Thrift was his name. And he said, meet at Sid's office at 11 o'clock. I said, okay, we got there. And I remember walking in the office first, and Jim Leland was behind me, and um, they didn't make the deal. They let me. But he was behind me, and, and I turned around, and this is like really the first guy that he really had to let go. And there he has, his eyes were all red. So like it, it was tougher on him than it was on me because he, he felt bad that he had to let me go. And I, I was okay with that because I knew there was other things out there. And I said to Jimmy, I said, well, if you're going to let me go, then who are you trading for? So we're not, gonna, we're not trading anyone. He says, we're going to bring someone up for triple. I said, you're going to bring someone up for triple A over me? Really? I got 10 years. I'm an experienced player. I said, who's that? He goes, Barry Bonds. I said, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Barry Bonds was in spring training with us. Wow. Had a young kid. And when he was 19 years old, you knew this kid was going to be a great player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you knew it in spring training. And uh, that's when uh, they made the roster switch and Barry Bonds took over. And had an amazing guy. career. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Yeah, amazing career. But I said, you were releasing me for Barry Bonds? Are you kidding me? <laughs> kidding. He laughed and he yeah. thought it was funny. So we had a good time about it. That's awesome. And then you went back to the Mets. Yeah, and then I, I, I went back to the Mets in, um, I guess, July or August of 86. Although, the story was that I came back and signed with the Mets, but I had two deals out there to go play somewhere else where there were multi-year contracts. I was going to sign a two-year deal with two other clubs was out there. And all of a sudden, my agent called and said, guess who called? And I said, who? He's interested. And he goes, the Mets. Now, that, now in 86, we all knew the Mets were the best team in baseball or had mm-hmm. one of the best teams. <clears throat> so now I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you know, I was in Pittsburgh and here you know, I was there with the lean years and now the Mets are winning and I wasn't a part of that. You, know, you want to be part of it. And he goes, do you have any interest? I said, well, let's hear them out. And uh, they wanted me more so for 87 than 86. Okay? Because you know, they're already winning yeah. in 86. 
So I, I, I had to sit and think. I, I talked to mom about this, and we weren't sure, but I knew I wanted to come back home. I need to be in New York. That's who I am. You know, I didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, and then the, my agent called and said, there's no guarantee. I said, no guarantee for what? I want to be in the playoffs. I want to be in the World Series, right? He was, the only guarantee is for 87. I said, well, I don't care about 87. I, I care about now. And uh, they said, well, they won't give you a guarantee for this year. They'll call you up in September. They said, this is like the end of August. They said, they're going to call you up in September 1st, and you'll be on the 40-man roster. But if you're up, you're not eligible for the playoffs after September mm -hmm. 1. So I said to my agent, I said, why do I want to go there September? I want to be in the playoffs mm -hmm. in World Series. So we took a little time. You know, Mom and I, we, we talked about that. What do you want to do? And um, it wasn't a, a decision like that. You know, we, we thought about it a little, a little bit. And finally, you know, we, we came to the conclusion that uh, we're going to come back home, you know. And um, so I signed with the Mets with zero guarantee that I was going to be called up or be in the playoffs of World Series. Zero. And I went to AAA. And I never played AAA for, uh, before. It's the first time I played. I went from AA to the big league. So I went to AAA and I was there for a couple of games. Mom. Um, I was there a couple of games and something happened. Uh, or they released George Forster or something. There was some problem with the, I don't know what it was. And um, I got the call to go to the big leagues. I was there at like two or three games. And like I said, nothing was promised, nothing was guaranteed. I just, I rolled the dice. I think we, we said we roll the dice, you go down, do what you have to do, and you write your own destiny. And if you do well, they're going to want you. They want you for 87. Maybe you'll be part of this as well. And that's, that's what uh, I did. And as it turned out, I did come up, come into the playoffs, World Series, and uh, World Champions. So I did that. Yeah. So I got, I got two questions. I thought you had one. I got two now. Huh. And we might have to wrap it up. But um, the first question is the Daryl Strawberry story that you told me. What happened with that? Well, it was, there was an article in a paper that uh, it was written that I said that he didn't play one day or, 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 or missed a game or or whatever, and obviously, he's the best player on the team, and he's in the lineup. And I said, well, something in the, to the effect where you need to play. I, I said, we need Straw in the lineup, he needs to play. He can't be out sick or whatever it was. And obviously, it didn't come out exactly like that. But it wasn't a rip, it was, I was saying, and not only that, I was the one that was playing for him. So why would I say anything bad? Mm -hmm. So by him not playing, I was the one that was the benefactor. I played instead of him, but that, you know, I know what he could do and what I can do is just different, you know, it was apples and oranges. So, and then Wally Backman said something, and Wally said, I don't know what he said either, but anyway, so it came out to head in the paper, and it didn't come out the way it was. I mean, I, if you listen, if you read it, it's like, I want him to play and be, you know, be the best for the team, and he got mad about it, uh, it came out of paper, and then he, he, we were in the clubhouse, and I could see him walking, and he said, what'd you say about me? 
I went, oh, geez. I said, and now straw is six, six, and it's like this. And I said, I'm saying to myself, we're going to go. <laughs> I said, we're going to, I said, I'm going to get my butt kicked right here, but I ain't backing down. I ain't saying anything. I said, what do you, I didn't say anything. What do you want? And then, then, <laughs> and then straw says, where's that little redneck? And he's talking about Wally. Because <laughs> Wally's the one that said something. Oh, man. And uh, we laugh about it today. Um, and uh, we, it was nothing bad. It was all good. But when it transpired, it was funny. Like, if you were on the onlook, you oh, something's really happening. But I could tell you, Straw, to me, was prob probably the most talented player I ever saw coming up. I mean, could do everything, kind of like, like Barry Bonds. And... Uh, I'm proud of him today because, you know, he's, he's a minister now. He's overcome, like, we all mm -hmm. have skeletons in our closets, you know. And uh, Straw, we just saw him at Old Timers Day. He's, he's doing great, man. He's doing absolutely great. So uh, we, you know, ma you maintain that. So it was kind of good. There's always arguments and stuff in the crowd. Mm -hmm. You've had them all the time, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, but I, f I feel like you might be uh, leaving out some details. I probably am. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you, and we'll wrap it up, is what's your, what's your fondest memory of the, that 86 year when you guys won the World Series? What, what was like the most, you know, the standout memory that you have of, of that run? I don't, I don't know as, a, as an individual, playing-wise, or just, just, I guess capturing the title. I'll tell you what it was. Because you were in that I know picture. It, you were like yeah. right on top of that yeah, picture. I, I'm going to tell you what it was, believe it or not. And you, you, you remember me telling you about your grandfather, about being everywhere, you know, how I used to watch you. And I'd be in, in left field, and for some reason, it's my dad. I see him there. And then I'd be in right field. He's the, he was all over, right? So we win the, 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 the World Series, and we have the ticker tape parade, right? Greatest thing in the world, Canyon Heroes. And I was with mom in the car. Right? We're in a car. And we're going down, and there's confetti flying. There's millions of people in New York going down Battery Park. And I look up like this, and there's Pop on top of a building. <laughs> I'm no telling way. you, 10 stories high. That oh, is wait. awesome. Holy Christ, Pop. I'm like this. <laughs> that was your grand, grandfather and grandmother. They were, they were at the ticket tape parade. So that's one thing that yeah, I'll never forget. Boy, that was kind of special. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks, right, for, thanks for being my guest. Uh, usually, uh, you're my guest all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I have yeah. been for 32 years. Yeah, yeah. You're off the payroll now, yeah, kid. You no, know that. <laughs> well, thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Lineup with Elgin Mazzilli. Michael. Um, he'll ask questions next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally took all my questions. <laughs>